Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Zorn to the lands of always winter and west of west, where we're one day going to find out maybe what's there. This is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsok. Here we are, episode 19 of Casterly Talk, and we are here, well, we're not here to break down an episode. We're not here to give our reactions to controversial scenes or big plot points. Not here to talk about pacing. Short seasons? Ah, maybe a little bit. We're here just to calm ourselves down, take a deep breath, and ruminate on Game of Thrones. All eight seasons are done, gone, wrapped up. Still hard to believe, so hard to believe, HBO gave us a little treat last night. At least at the time of this recording of a documentary, two hours, called... Game of Thrones, The Last Watch. Uh, me and Grace, uh, my girlfriend, took that in. We sat down. We treated it a little bit like an episode. Got some food settled in. Just kind of basked in the afterglow of Game of Thrones. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and then take a break. And then when we come back, we'll have your calls from the Anchor app. And even though it's just me today, Andres, Rachel, Lon. Not here. I'll answer your questions. And like we said said on last week's episode, Casterly Talk will roll on. A little short episode here today, but we're going to keep going. And we're going to work on some different kinds of things, some history things. The Ruinations of the Realm segment will still be here. Uh, maybe I might, I could go by uh, weekly uh, episodes to a month for a little bit as we start to pick up some speed. But don't worry if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, if you're a fan of Song of... Uh, of the Song of Ice and Fire if you're just uh, a fan of George R. R. Martin you know we're going to keep going and we're going to keep talking about it so uh, that documentary last night I love a good documentary about the making of things I just love them uh, The Beginnings which is the Phantom Menace documentary uh, that has you know no narration no nothing just uh, behind the scenes footage rolled out it's, it's one of my favorite things um, the documentary Empire of Dreams, which is a Lucasfilm documentary, so sometimes that means you're not getting, well, not that they're lying, but uh, you're getting a, a little shorter version of the story sometimes, but it's still spectacular. Love it. It's inspiring. Uh, a series like The Toys That Made Us, which is a documentary on our own little pop culture and toys. I love them. I love uh, stories of uh, the making of things, the director and the Jedi, the last Jedi documentary, fantastic piece of media. This one, no different for me. They, they Every week on HBO, HBO Now or Go or whatever you may have, they have those little mini docs uh, inside the episodes and then they kept doing the game, uh, game of Thrones revealed this year, a little bit more, sometimes about 18 minutes long and really took you into the process. It's no secret and it's no doubt. And no one would doubt that it takes a lot to make 
Game of Thrones. You don't have to be in the movie-making business or the TV-making business to understand that. We all understand hard work. And we got into that discussion a little bit last week, and, it, and it's something that's on my mind, too, about uh, you know how hard it is to make these things, and that doesn't insulate them against criticism. Uh, absolutely. Um, I just... Uh, you know, wrote a book, I, uh, Why We Love Star Wars. It took a long time to do it, put my heart and soul in it. It doesn't mean it's perfect, and it doesn't mean I made the right decisions. I just th- really think a lot of what was going on the la- these last two seasons, you just, you just look at the production and the scale of it, and you understand maybe why some of the decisions were made. They don't come out and say it, but there's definitely some moments uh, where they are talking about uh, what is it, uh, Deborah the Riley was that her name the the, the uh, uh, production designer who just was saying like we've reached the limit of what we can do we we have pushed ourselves to the brink and I don't think we can give much more is what she was saying and that's what I keep coming back to we talk about how Game of Thrones the season seven. Season eight definitely sacrificed a little bit of the intimacy for the epic, and and that is not sitting well with everyone. And believe me, let me tell you something: I I miss that stuff too. I do miss it. I just think I I'm just okay with it not being there because we get this fantastic story. Uh, some of my favorite moments: Tywin Lannister and Arya Stark. Uh, Arya Stark talking to Tywin and uh, Harrenhal. Fascinating stuff. Um, small, intimate, world-building moments, character-building moments. I think of a lot of this, lot of stuff with Robert Baratheon. A lot of his... Mark Addy. We, we shan't forget Mark Addy. Uh, and in fact, here on, on Casterly Talk, we might just do an entire Mark Addy episode. Uh, a look at, um, at uh, King Robert Baratheon uh, now, especially eight seasons later. A lot of stuff with him and Ned whether it's on the King's Road, uh, the breastplate stretcher scene, or the stuff with Jamie Lannister, or probably might be, uh, I mean, it's definitely top five of uh, my all-time favorite scenes, which is uh, him and Cersei. That stuff was powerful. And yeah, did we miss it in season seven and season eight? Yeah, absolutely, at times. That's why some of the moments that we do get it stand out to me. Episode two this year, which the, the entire episode... Seems it's, It almost seems like they gave us an entire episode. Here you are on the brink of war, the cusp of war. It's going to get really dark, literally, and for some people's TVs. Um, we're going to give you these moments with these characters, and it worked so well. It might have been, I don't know if I'll, I, I actually could possibly call it the best episode of the season, which is saying a lot, and I don't want to take away from the big episodes. I love the long night. I, I, I love the... Whole situation, uh, Danny uh, taking over King's Landing, burning down King's Landing. That's some fascinating, big time stuff. But episode two had that feel. It had that feel of season one. And I think there was a lot of that. A lot of the Varys and Tyrion conversations um, up until his demise. Hell, even during Tyrion, uh, uh, Var- uh, Var- uh, Varys, not Been a long year. Varys' uh, uh, <laughs> death. Um, even that had some season one vibes to me. But when you watch all that, you watch the production, I, to me, and maybe I'm crazy, I just understand why they did what they did. Uh, they don't come out and say we would have murdered our crew, and, and these are professional crew, crews that want the work. But you can tell uh, that it took a lot, and, and whereas season two has 
the Battle of Blackwater Bay and everything was kind of smaller scale until then, big time production. Um, now we had this had this this season in six episodes had two of the biggest battle sequences. That fifty five day night shoot is is wow, it, it's impressive, and you see how it weared on everybody. Uh, how everyone kind of just it, it, it broke them down, and and I'm just I, I I someone who worked graveyards, a graveyard shift for about three plus years, and what that does to your body, it starts to break you down. And I wasn't you know shooting big battles, so all that to say, when I watched that documentary. None of it was surprising, and if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, you know what they go, uh, what they what they do, and what they put into this. But it just put even more of this final season into perspective, and even more of this show. As uh, one of the producers, Chris Newman, said, each episode, six episodes, has more going into it uh, than most feature films. Right, six. So, in the time that you might be making one feature film which are, you know, feature films at at the big level, no matter what you think of them, a lot goes into them. It's a a nightmare, right? Um, To do that six times in the the amount of time that other people might have won, it's, it's stunning, breathtaking. And I loved that the documentary didn't focus on uh, Dan and Dave, um, uh, the writing of it, uh, the, the main actors. I would still love that. I don't know if they shot that. Looks as though they didn't. They did, they did get a lot of things for the extras on HBO now. So maybe when the DVDs, Blu-rays, uh, who's still buying DVDs? I don't know. Blu-rays. When, maybe when maybe when the VHS tapes come out, uh, they'll have more of that with the cast and the crew. Um, that stuff's the most fascinating thing of the, the director of the Jedi documentary about Last Jedi. You really get into the performers. Uh, but the uh, I love that it focused on some of the players that uh, don't normally get the spotlight. Uh, was it uh, the guy, uh, Del, was it Del Reed, the snow master, the guy in charge of the snow? Um, the Just the costumes, the makeup, the wigs, the extra. It's Andrew uh, Buckley. Oh, gosh, I should, I should, I'm sorry. I'm having one of those days. It's Memorial Day when I'm recording this. I just had a nice picnic. I'm sunburnt. Um, the extra, who, by the way, the moment he walked in that... Uh, Seen him like, oh yeah, that guy. He's all over the show. I've seen him a few times now. He's got a great face, great beard, uh, and a passion for it. I loved all that. I loved seeing it from that level. It's so funny because Game of Thrones is about the war for the throne. It's about the Game of Thrones. You win or you die. And people like Varys and Jorah talk about the small folk, the people all around the world who, who are looking up at the noble houses and don't really care. Uh, they're the ones making the kingdom go. They just pray for uh, a long summer, right? So I love seeing the documentary almost from that point of view. Really interesting to me. Uh, but I would like to see a little bit more. Maybe a book. Maybe a tell-all book. Not, not sorry, tell-all, but, you know, just the true story. I love those two as well. Um, I think uh, some of the... the, the uh, if I'm trying to think of the highlight and the thing that makes me want to watch the documentary again, it was that table read, and there there does focus on the lead actors. Um, to see the actors, Kit Harrington, we know Kit Harrington or Keat, as they say over there in Spain. Um, to see that, to see him go through the process process of discovering the story as it happens, 
was just mesmerizing, absolutely mesmerizing. And to see it affect him the way it does, you know, they're they're invested in these characters from a long chunk of time, from audition to final rap. You're talking ten plus years for most of these performers. That was fascinating stuff to me to see them, you know, learn it for the first time or really feel the impact of it for the first time. And they all had those moments. They all had those moments. Uh, whether it's uh, Nikolai uh, Calder Waldo. Uh, uh, Cersei Lannister uh, herself, Lena Headey, just sitting there, kind of like <gasps> taking a breath. And then I thought the Conleth Hill moment, where they're reading his death, and I, I want to study it. He f- kind of throws his uh, tosses his script away, uh, maybe out of resignation, a little anger. Uh, we know that he has said, I don't have the exact interview in front of me, but we know he said he loves where it ends up for Varys. He loves the final moment, but he, you know, some steps along the way, he didn't uh, fully agree with what they have did with the character, which is, which is fine. Um, that, that happens during the creative process. These performers, uh, feel they, sh- they know these characters very well and they do, they really do. Um, Varys and the, his death scene reacting to Tyrion touching him, Shows and kind of hell saying, well, you know, Varys has never really been touched out of uh, compassion before. It would mean something to him in the end, and he'd react weird to it. Um, so don't get me they know these characters. They know these characters. But they also got to deliver the story, deliver the big picture, do the job. Uh, Stephen Delane, didn't he? He doesn't, he's a huge Game of Thrones fan. <laughs> Delivered Stannis perfectly. Ian McShane, one shot episode, pitch perfect. Not a fan of Game of Thrones. So I, I don't always put a ton of credence. I know there's a lot of... Uh, I haven't watched them, and I've told YouTube I'm not interested in them, but uh, that doesn't always stop YouTube. But seeing some of the YouTube videos of uh, nine times Peter Dinklage had a problem with season eight, and they go to these interviews, and, you know, yeah, sure. If you believe it, you can also take things out of context or, you know, not really fully understand the entire conversation that is uh, happening. Um but to see Conleth Hill kind of just react and Gwendolyn Christie and Lena Headey kind of react to him and comfort him, uh, that's emotional. It's powerful. And what a journey they have been on, not just us. Really exciting stuff. There'll be a lot more to say about the making of Game of Thrones, a show that I don't even know if it should have been made. From George R. R. Martin writing something that he uh, just put his fist down on the table and said, I'm writing something that no one can ever adapt. Which, by the way, I love. That's how you should tell a story. Uh, I I always want to make that clear. I love that George was like, look, I wrote on Beauty and the Beast, and I've been in the system. I get the three-act structure. I get your heroes. I get your villains. Boom. Throwing that all out. I'm just writing a story. As much as I sometimes want to just say, George! Finish the books. I also want him to do it the way he has been doing it. You know, fast or not? Nah, it's a different conversation. That's for him and his editors. But how he comes about this story and how he creates it and just how wild and unwieldy this story is, I don't want him to change what he's done. Um, But from that to the mysterious, much-talked-about first pilot that didn't quite go. I mean, that is um, that is that is pretty um, that that is that is pretty amazing. That doesn't happen 
Very rarely does a network like HBO, any network, let you make a pilot, go out to faraway lands, and come back and go, well, this looks like shite. It's not working. Usually that's a, you're done, kids. No go picture from here. But to get to do it again, a while later, it's it's something that shouldn't have happened. And it did. And it did. And along the way, the budgets, look, go back to season one, I, I which I'm going to be doing shortly soon here. And we might do a casually talk watch along um, where I watch an episode and we talk about it. I don't know. We'll take our time with that. We got time. Uh, to go back to season one, and, I, you know, you, you don't need to talk about the hairstyles and everything that changed from the pilot on. And that's a different fun conversation, but a different one. Uh, just to see what they were, you know, Winterfell was a wall. And out of scene season eight, they have a wall. It got past all that. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah, sometimes that spectacle took away the quiet little moments. But I think that spectacle was worth it. And I hope you all do. So we're going to take a quick break here. Um, I hope you all do too is what I was trying to say. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I got some phone calls from you all here on the Anchor app. And we're going to talk about those. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here on Casterly Talk, and it's time to hear from you. If you want to reach out to Casterly Talk, you can, you know, always do so on Twitter using the hashtag Casterly Talk. Uh, reaching out to me at CatNapsock or any of the other favorite faces we love around here. Andres Cabrera, Rachel Cushing, Lon Harris, or uh, Thomas Risling, host of the Ruminations of the Realm segment here on the show. We'll be back with that shortly. Thomas and I are cooking up some things in that regard as well. But you can reach out that way or what we're going to do here right now, you can get the Anchor app and go ahead and leave a message. You got one minute to do it. So be clear and concise and get your point across because I want to hear your voice. And uh, I see a lot of messages come through that uh, the sound quality ain't great. Uh, that, that, that you can't help but that you get cut off. You get cut off, just call again. Put a message down. We want to hear from you. Send a raven. All right, I'll stop talking, and I want you to go ahead and 
talk now. So this one's, uh, you know, we got three good questions here. Four, actually. Question, statements, things we want to get to. Uh, So without further ado, I'm going to play them. Hey, guys, this is Jay, and I'd like to discuss Cersei's death. I was talking about it with a coworker, and she felt that Cersei should have had a little more punch in how she went out, that it should have been a execution by dragon fire or something more than what it was. And, uh, you know, it was just she didn't like that she had this emotional ending to her character. And I argued back that I felt her character emotionally died during her walk of shame from the Sept of Baylor. And she'd been emotionally cut off and cold ever since then, more so than what she was before. But her breaking down, crying when she saw Jamie and ultimately during their death was what I think fit her character. What do you think? Let me know. All right, that is Jay from the Amateur Dads program. You can take a listen to them. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, and I uh, but I also understand. I, I really do understand that if you're watching, as it pertains to Cersei, let, let, let's take Jamie Lannister uh, aside because that that's another discussion to have here. But from from my point of view, uh, just as it relates to Cersei's death, yeah, we were all kind of thinking, and not even a matter of hoping or wanting. We're all thinking that we are getting something bigger. And a lot of us, and I, I tried to stumble through this uh, last week, uh, especially when Rachel and I, I and the team were talking about Jamie, but the Valencar prophecy, which if you're a book reader, that's something that's big. It's huge. It was never mentioned in the show, and I think we, and I know me, I'll speak for myself here, kind of selectively, selectively uh, remembered uh, or forgot that is what I'm trying to say. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. Where... The season five starts. Maggie the Frog's there. Yay, Maggie the Frog. Jody May, she's playing Maggie the Frog. I like that. I'm a last Mohicans fan. Yay, cool. Hey, where's the Valencar prophecy? Well, whatever. And you turn to the person next to you who doesn't know that. Oh, what do, what do you mean the Valencar prophecy? Oh, well, in the books, there's this prophecy. We think it's a younger brother. and It could be Tyrion. It could be Jamie. It could be the Hound. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But it's there. It's there. Well, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. So... For me, I went into this final season thinking Cersei's going to get hers, and she should get hers because by season six, by the end of season six, she has made her decision. I am going to be queen, and I'm going to kill my way to that throne, which she does. And she's the big one of the big bads out there, for sure. So it makes sense. It makes total sense. That we should not just a matter of want, but think and some would expect that Cersei gets a big death. But I think she got the death she deserved. And when I say deserved, I actually kind of mean that in a good way. Uh, A little softer, sweeter way. Go back to uh, Joffrey Baratheon, his death. Spoiler. What if if someone was listening and they hadn't... Oh, okay, never mind. Um, Joffrey's death didn't work for some people I know. I don't even talk about podcasting and punditry and pop culture commentary shows. I'm just talking friends of mine. And Jay's talking about how he's having this conversation with someone at work, which, hey, these are these are the conversations we love having because they should be fun-natured and it's fun to roll up your sleeves and kind of look at some things. Um, Joffrey's death, I know for some real 
close friends of mine did not work for them because they wanted it to be more. They wanted it to be a head chopped off slowly, whittled down to the bone. And then so he knows he's getting his head chopped off and he dies and it's horrible because he's a horrible character and he did horrible things. Studies poison and they thought that was an easy way out. Uh, and uh, that's a whole different discussion. But you see what I mean? Like it's all sometimes perspective and Cersei... Cersei's evil, hateful, but as she is presented and as she is played by Lena Haiti, you know the layers are there, and you know this girl, this poor girl, almost never had a chance, and yeah, season five with her friend going to see Maggie the Frog, Cersei's got her attitude in place. She knows who she is, right? She kind of never had a chance, man. She kind of never had a chance. And I like Tywin Lannister. But I think Tywin Lannister is a lesson in here's how you run things, here's how you rule things, here's how you fight things, but here's not how you raise children. And that is what got him in the end. If Tywin Lannister had been a little bit more of a better father, his son might not have put a bolt through his stomach. It's a lesson there. And I could still love a character and find the lesson. Cersei Lannister never really had a chance. And we go back to that scene with Robert Baratheon season one. Show only scene, by the way. Did we ever really have a chance? No, we didn't, says Robert Baratheon. And then he asks her, how does that make you feel? And she's, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, you know, it doesn't make me feel anything. She's kind of dead then. And the only person she really loves other than her children is her, is her brother, and she's very aware of it, by the way. She's very aware that that ain't uh, normal. That, yeah, you got the Targaryens. Even in this world, she, they, they talk about it. But they both know it's not right. They both know it's not normal. And they both know it could get them in trouble. Um, that's, why it's a, that's why it's a thing. That's why they're so panicked about Bran surviving. So all this to say, as, as her children start dying and she's in a bad marriage... All these things. Cersei makes the decision to be bad along the way. She does some despicable things. She does some mean things. I'm not excusing Cersei Lannister of anything that she did. Especially blowing up the Sept of Baelor. She crawled and fought. Literally crawled. Licking the water off the floor. Literally uh, strolls through the city naked taking damage, taking cabbage to the face, taking spit to the face, taking, she's bloody, she's beaten. She overcomes all that to become queen. And I still, it's, it's, it's that moment, that sip of wine in season six. It's so interesting. It's so interesting, our reaction. Cersei takes out all her enemies, and some of them who we like, Loras Tyrell, Marjorie Tyrell, characters we might have an affinity for. It's not just about uh, Jonathan Price as the High Sparrow. She takes them all out, including innocent people, too. That bell, takes them all out. We know that was bad. Jamie Lannister knows it was bad. But we, on some level, each and every one of us as fans in general, there are some exceptions, but we applauded her. We applauded her. She fought to get this kingdom. And in the end, the kingdom crumbles around her. It is the kingdom that kills her. It is, to me, again, that lesson of Stannis, even now Danny, the pursuit of something can destroy you. It's a powerful lesson for all of us. And 
to have the moment happen with Jamie. This is why I do really like on the show. It might play out different in the books, and I think I kind of want it to play out different in the books because the Valencar prophecy is there. But I had to ask myself, did and I talked about it on the show, do I want to see, did I want to see Jamie Lannister choking her to death? What does that say about me, I guess? Cersei deserves to die. I believe you pay for your sins in these stories. She does. But for me, Tyrion tries. He tries. He constantly tries. He has his conversations in previous seasons, and he has a conversation here when he's screaming up there at the, at the gates of King's Landing. And even at the end of season seven, you're, you loved your children. He said that to her before several times. You can say what you want about her, but you, she loves her children. There's a humanity there. There may not be a lot of humanity around Cersei Lannister, but at her core, she's a hurt, broken person doing her best to overcome a mound of obstacles, which she does. When Cersei's crowned, it's kind of one of those. It's it's it, it it plays with your emotions a little bit. Not as much as Ramsay Bolton, or excuse me, Ramsay Bolton's not as much. Uh, you know, when Ramsay is naturalized by his father, it's a it's the only moment where I'm like, oh, good job, Ramsay. Oh wait, oh wait, what am I doing? He's a monster. Cersei's a monster in a lot of levels, but because of the scenes before, because of what you've seen, what you know of her, and we're not even talking about the books, what you know of her on the show. You get that world building. You get that character building. You get the intimacy. Thankfully, we did have. But we already have it, so we know it. And that's why sometimes I push back on the season eight needing these uh, needing to be slower paced. We know all. If, are you a fan of the show? Do you understand these characters? Or are you just one of those ones who are like, uh, Danny, Danny like fire? Then maybe it's not for you. Or maybe go watch the show again. We know these characters. So in that moment, I want you... See, you, all the knowledge is already there. Jamie comes back, and the facade that Cersei had up, because she needed to have the facade up, not just to win the throne, but for survival. If she stops and thinks what her life was really about, she might jump off the ledge like Tommen, too. So I give Cersei a lot of credit. She's a survivor. She's made some choices. Luke Skywalker wants you to make the choice to be better. That's part of the Jedi way. Cersei, not a Jedi. Definitely said. Power. Power is power, Cersei's uh, belief as well. So in that moment, yeah, we might have wanted Cersei to be burned by a dragon, executed in front of the people that she used as a human shield, or flayed by her enemies, or choked by Jamie Lannister. But in the final moment, all that broke away as her kingdom crumbled on top of her. The map is broken, the map she had painted, She's beneath the Red Keep and everything she wanted and pursued and and gave up and sacrificed and probably made some wrong choices in that pursuit is now killing her. She's being killed by the things she wanted, the things she really compromised herself to get. All that breaks away. The facade is gone and her final, final thought is, I want to live. I want to live. She's probably wanted to die her whole life. Kids kept her alive, but now she she wants to live, but it's too late. It's tragic, it's bittersweet, and I can't think of a better way now. I can't think of a better way now. I wanted her to die in a big way. And it does, it happens fast. It happens fast, 
uh, talking to my pal Joseph Scrimshaw. He's like, you know, it, it, the episode was so big. The fact that it happens in an episode, it's easy to maybe feel like it's overlooked or to overlook it yourself. Um, but see it again for the first time uh, and watch it with that. You may not like it. You may still want Cersei to have been burned alive by a dragon. But I, I just really love it's a powerful, powerful final moment to me. That Cersei Lannister, not just the 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 bitter poetry of 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 dying beneath the thing and the kingdom she wanted, but to have that final in her final moments, in her final moments, as crazy as it is, and it's Jamie, her brother, and it's weird and twisted. Yep, I get it, but her final moments, Cersei at least got to feel some love. And I think the the young girl buried deep inside that character who didn't have a chance, I think she deserved that. That's just my thoughts. So, Jay, thanks for the call. Thanks for the thought starter. Let's continue with Vic. Vic's been calling in since the Daily Thrones days. Always happy to hear him. Hey, Ken. It's Vic. So we finally made it to the end of this epic saga we've all been following for 10-plus years now. And I have mixed feelings about the season and the way it all wrapped up that I'll be sharing in the coming weeks. But the first thing that came to my mind when the credits rolled was a sense of gratitude. I feel immensely grateful to have been able to participate in this fandom for so long and to witness this story come to life on the big screen. And thankful to Dan, Dave, all the actors, producers for putting so much attention to detail into this show. And last but not least, thankful to you for helping build a community like Casterly Talk and Daily Thrones that allow guys like myself to feel connected and tapped into something bigger than ourselves. So cheers to you, sir. And by the way, I also picked up your book and I can't wait to read it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Vic. I appreciate you picking up my book. That's awesome. Uh, And thank you for the kind words. But I'm just a schlub talking into microphones. It's you all listening out there that make this a community and I'm happy to kind of host the party. Some of you bring snacks uh, some of you bring some party favors, and we have a good time celebrating Star Wars. Uh, Star, well, <laughs> I celebrate Star Wars and Game of Thrones. Uh, habits die hard. Uh, but to Vic's point, I like it. I like what Vic said. Yeah, I got some thoughts. I got some mixed feelings. There's some things that happen in the final season maybe I'm not sure about, or maybe I just plain don't like. And as we've talked about here on the show with Lon and Rachel and Andres, like, we have all had that. Andres doesn't like a lot about season seven because, you know, and it's not just that his favorite character, one of his favorite characters, Baelish, was murdered. Just some stuff didn't work for him. But he keeps coming back. And and we we as a fandom, it's okay if you want to walk away. I wish more people would. Not just Game of Thrones, but a lot of things. If it really bothers you that much, and I don't mean it in a finger-wagging way, I just had a, like, I want to put my hand on your shoulder, some of you, and just say, it's it's okay. I know, but I know you feel you invested a long time, but it, it didn't, it, it's not going to go the way you think. You, it can't go the way you think. And then you have kind of a boring story. These are characters that take on a life of their own at times. And, I, you know, I don't think George is going to end with everything perfectly to your liking either. And talk about investment. That's years. Decades of investment. So I get it. And we, I, I love what Vic's saying. Uh, I got some issues, but I have gratitude for this show, this journey. I, I, I can't stress that enough. I, growing up, I don't know, if you're younger and this is what you're used to, big event television, going back to Lost and all those kind of things, God bless you. But man, for me, like, 
the big event television was like, uh, you know, uh, Shogun with Richard Chamberlain on a miniseries. <laughs> it's like Heidi, the miniseries, now, uh, the, 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 the movie of the week. Um, Airwolf, A-Team, great shows, uh, you know, in their own silly, stupid right. But that was event television, you know? Uh, event television was TJ, TGIF shows crossing over. Uh, it's uh, all those kind of things. So uh, I'm not saying, I'm not, again, not saying that anyone's spoiled out there, but I do want some perspective. This was, and that's what I hope that documentary really drives home. There's blood on the tracks. Everyone put blood on the tracks. And sometimes as artists and writers and producers and directors, and even as actors, you have to make a choice. Even some of the actors, you could say that they played it in a way that was different than, than you wanted it to, to be played. I just always come back to celebrating these things. That's why we're here. If it bothers you so much, step on out. I'm a huge Transformers fan. Uh, really grew up. I'm part of that generation, obviously, right? Uh, big. Tra- I saw the first Michael Bay film, and I, I, I didn't hate it. Um, saw the second one, I was like, that's nah, not for me. And I just wanted to walk away. Um, it's okay to do that. To those that feel that they've invested a lot of time and, and they were cheated, I, I can't comfort you. I can't change that. But I can tell you, go back. None of those moments you loved, go back. None of them are, none of them are taken away. They're still there. If you, you know, Battle Blackwater Bay still might be my favorite battle. Still might be. As small as, as it was, budget-wise, and the way that that's, and George R. R. Martin wrote that episode, as we know, that might be one of the more perfect episodes. And season two is one of my favorite seasons, underrated season. Um, when you're following something as great and, and pitch-perfect as season one, season two was going to always feel a little bit of a letdown. I remember at the time going, oh, okay. I guess season two is my favorite, right? Um, and the Battle of Blackwater, but that, that doesn't go away. That moment's there for you. And I hope a lot of you can find some sort of peace. And I'm interested to hear what Vic has to say and what others have to say going forward. We're going to be able to discuss it. But I always, I just urge everyone, come, come at it from, from the point of love. And you might find yourself uh, being able to uh, enjoy it still, if you don't. All right. This is a call from Grant. Hey, Ken. First time the caller here, Grant Goodrich. And I would like to focus my message on a character I love that I believe to be very underappreciated and somewhat misunderstood. That character is Bran Stark. Bran interested me because he was this young, wise boy who had a certain unnatural, magical connection with this world, unlike any other character. I love the fantasy aspect of this show, and no character has a more fantasy-centric story than Bran. His journey is one of sacrifice and destiny, different from most of the other characters. He has to choose to embrace his destiny and become the Three-Eyed Raven, sacrificing the Stark within him in order for the betterment of the rest of the world. In the finale, when Bran was named king, I was initially taken aback, but now I love it because of how much it makes sense. I cannot wait to go back and watch all of these characters' journeys, knowing where they end up, but I'm especially looking forward to Bran's. Thanks, Kim. Oh, thank you, Grant. I love that call. I am in a similar spot where the, the news of Bran the Broken ascending to the throne was uh, a different choice for me. A different choice for me. I still think Sansa was a great choice to be queen of the Seven Kingdoms, but I also feel it's more powerful 
and more in line with the story and what George was, uh, not just what he was meaning in some, some deeper philosophical way, but just the story itself, the fact that the North is independent again and, and, and Sansa's ruling the North, um, has more powerful has, has more power to me is more powerful than just her taking the the, the the throne over all seven kingdoms if that makes sense. Bran as the king and Bran the broken definitely sounds like a classic Game of Thrones Westeros uh, you know uh, monarch name there. It it, it I think it's going to make more sense if you go back and, and just watch the show and go back to the beginning. The fact that Bran is you know. Uh, one of the, I think he is the first point of view character in the books. Um, there's some symmetry there. There's some poetry there. It all comes back to him. And the little boy who wanted to be a knight and fell nearly to his death and can't walk, can't just, uh, isn't just about flying. It's about uh, ruling. It's all his now. And with, by the way, Tyrion having a lot to say to that, I think uh, that's the reason he chose him. You run things, I'm going to go... Uh, Find Drogon. Um, of all the things in season eight, I think Bran as the king is is one of the curveballs. Some people are still going to need some time. And here's the other thing too. I've said this a lot. I said this a lot in Star Wars. Uh, over there talking about that. Um, don't be afraid, as a fan, to take a moment and think about these things. Don't. Do not. We are in a fast food media consumption time period where you're supposed to walk out of a movie theater and register your opinion. Seven out of nine stars, 13 out of 12 popcorns, eight hot dogs out of 50. You're supposed to have your ratings ready to go right from the get-go. And that doesn't necessarily mean that instinct is wrong or that you're wrong if you watch uh, the finale of season eight and go, nah, one out of nine stars. Doesn't mean you're wrong. But think about it. If there's things, I I see far too much. Brands the king, not my choice. Stupid, I'm done. Take a moment. Take a moment. Like the Cersei death. Take a moment and really think about it and think how it connects, think how it plays out. It still might not work for you. Bran as the king does not work for some folks, and I get it. Bran has... Perhaps one of the more drab and at times dull stories, so stagnant at times that they took him out of a, a season. And to me, I wasn't, I'm always fascinated with Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven and Brendan Rivers and, and all, the, all the history there and the children of the forest. And I think a lot more is going to be coming in uh, George's books. Absolutely. But in the show, the show's got a, you know, it can't. You can't go inside Bran's head and, and monologue too much. You know, uh, you couldn't have him just sitting in that tree underneath that tree for a season, which would have been kind of the case if they left him in there. So I remember I was disappointed when Bran and, and Hodor and everyone were kind of removed for a year because you know I like the performers and and I want to find wanted to find Bran's true place in the story. But I understand it was it was it was a bit drab. It's a bit drab. He just, I need to go north. I need to find the Thread Raven. Why? Well, because I'm going to become the Thread Raven. Well, what does that get you? It gets you stories. It gets you perspective. And it gets uh, us as the viewers a little, little exposition and a little chance to uh, get some uh, clarification on some, some things. 
Um, and then suddenly now Bran's the king. And yeah, that does seem a little weird. But take a, take a little second. I, I like what Grant's saying there. Uh, it works for him now. And I think Bran's taking a lot of unnecessary heat as a character. And uh, Isaac Hem said, White, you know, I thought, spectacular job playing often one or two notes. That's hard. Hard to convey as an actor. Final thought of the day now. Coming in, these calls have been great. Uh, this is from James. Hey, Ken. It's James here from the Oasis podcast. Uh, thank you very much for doing my podcast last year. It was great to talk about Oasis with you. And so I thought I'd talk about Game of Thrones with you briefly. Um, just to say I've loved this series. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. I had similar concerns to a lot of the people, but ultimately I thought it was such a fantastic piece of work. It's not worth quibbling about. My one point I just wanted to make quickly was the quality of the acting, particularly from the British actors involved. Uh, it really is a testament to the fantastic British theatre and Royal Shakespeare Company and things that a lot of these guys that have come through and are just such unbelievable actors, offer, often delivering rather bizarre lines of dialogue, but just doing it so fantastically well, whether it's Diana Rigg, Charles Dance, Lena Headey, these guys are all brilliant. So anyway, Ken, that's enough from me. Hope to speak to you guys soon. Thanks, James. And uh, yeah, James uh, has a great podcast called the Oasis Podcast. I'm a huge fan of Oasis. I'm mad for it. Do you know what I mean? And uh, James, we're going to talk about Oasis again. Please, I'd love you to have me uh, have me back on the show. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, the the British actors. Uh, Nina Gold does uh, casting uh, for Game of Thrones. Uh, a lot of them do Star Wars. That's why you get a lot of crossover there. And, yeah, UK actors, they just got something. They just got something. Uh, there's different styles of, of acting, and I am no actor and I'm no expert. Uh, and I'll let other people uh, talk about it. But there's just something special about all the performers in Game of Thrones. I go back to Maureen. When the old uh, uh, freed slave comes to speak to Daenerys Targaryen, uh, the older guy with the beard and the sweet, soft voice, telling the story of how, you know, yeah, you, you freed us, but, you know, I used to be somebody. I used to be somebody. And now, you know, I'm in these shelters that you set up for us, and, uh, you know, the, the young are preying on the weak and the old, and, and I want to go back. And how that just throws this, uh, that throws Danny for a loop, because I, I freed you. You want to go back to be a slave? Well, yeah, but they, they treated me well, and it's just... And not that we need layers added to slavery discussions, by the way, but this is a show and we're sticking in story. Um, that moment was powerful because of this actor. Comes in for this one moment, this one scene, and just hits it out of the park. Even the one later on presenting his dead daughter's bones with the, you know, not speaking the common tongue conveys so much. Game of Thrones from top to bottom, uh, generally just... Uh, perfect casting for me. I can't think of anything that stands out. And even an actor, I don't know, uh, Alfie Allen's Theon, I think he grew in the show and he grew for me. Um, season one, you know, Theon was almost a character that I, I'm speaking to myself, for almost kind of personally loved to hate. Like, ah, just a little sniveling little brat. Yeah, treat this. So what, the Starks don't like you. And Alfie grew as an actor. Uh, to towards the end, and especially his final moment, it works so much. And, and yeah, tribute uh, should be paid to all the great actors, uh, the UK actors. Uh, it's the reason they shoot over there a lot. Reason they shoot over there a lot. Um, and it works here. It works in Star Wars too. It works in other big properties. 
and it always has, and probably always will. I'm sure the prequel series will find ourselves in a similar way, looking at some of these great UK actors and what they're doing on the show. Guys, that is it for this week. Castle Talk, episode 19. Just catching up. This is a fireside chat. We're going to have more of these, more calls. I want to hear from you. Get the Anchor app. Reach out. Call in. Uh, you can uh, leave uh, your message like uh, these fine folks did here. And more coming. Rachel, Lon, Andreas will be back uh, as a team, individually. I'm going to sit down with some other uh, friends of mine in, in this uh, digital media space who are Game of Thrones fans and just kind of look back and reflect on this journey, eight years of this show, that we all just, I mean, when they say in the documentary, you know, hey, it's the most popular show of all time, that's not a lie. It's not just about numbers. It's the investment that this show created and brought, which is also why some of our emotions are a little frayed right now, just like that crew in the documentary The Last Watch. They're a little frayed, a little frayed. Little temper tantrums, little grumbling. You don't want it to end, but you're excited to maybe get past it. That's kind of where we might be as fans. And because the fandom, uh, not just Game of Thrones, but fandom everywhere is kind of aflame a lot and our passions runneth over, uh, it can wear you down. It can wear you down. But I can't wait to take a big breath and go back and rewatch the show and, and, and read the books. I'm, I'm slowly picking my way through. I'm up at book four right now, Feast for Crows. I'm not really sitting down and just. Every, every once uh, once a week or so, I'll pick up, read a chapter, a half a chapter, and just kind of going through that journey again. If you haven't read Fire and Blood, highly recommend you read Fire and Blood. Uh, I, I do recommend that you're a book reader. Um, but there's Fire and Blood stands on its own. You almost could read it and and only be a show only fan. It's actually one of my f- favorite uh, George R. R. Martin reading experiences when it comes to Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, or just be like me, study the maps. Study the maps. But that is it for now. Casterly talk will roll on. We're not done. A lot more to talk about in this world of ice and fire. (laughs) 